0: An agricultural empire, the fulfillment of the dreams of pioneers, unexcelled in beauty, rich in achievement, and still offering a challenge mighty as the mountains. This is our Northwest Empire.
1: I'm Felix Bennell, resident historian for Cairo Radio, heard with Dave Ross Wednesdays and Fridays on Seattle's Morning News. On this episode of the Resident Historian Podcast... An archive in Burien is preserving the priceless history of Northwest railroads.
2: There's this feeling about it that a lot of us have: is like, whoa, boys, I'm in the right place. And then, from the archives, remembering the gusts and bluster of the 1962
1: Columbus Day storm. But first, let's go all over the map.
0: In the nation's northwest corner is Washington. Every Friday morning, our resident historian, Felix Bunnell, joins us for All Over the Map, which is his quick look at the stories behind the names of local places and things. And this week, we know now that it couldn't beat the iPod, but where did Microsoft get the name for the Zune?
1: It's a burning question, I know, Dave. Um, It's easy to make jokes about the Zune. We've all heard it called the Edsel of MP3 players. I've used it myself as a punchline every now and then, guilty as charged. Now, we'll get to the name in a second. First, a quick history. Autumn 2021 is the anniversary of a couple of big Zune milestones. The first, it was 15 years ago, this November 13th, when Microsoft announced the Zune with a big press event at Westlake Park. The Zune was just like an iPod, Apple's MP3 player, but it also had some cool features the iPod didn't have, like an FM radio, who could disagree with that, Yeah. and a feature whereby you could share audio files, like your favorite songs and photos, wirelessly with other Zunes. That other Zune holder could then play that shared song three times before it would disappear. Now, at the Westlake Park event, the Zoom was rolled out with great fanfare by Bill Gates. Even John Richards, the popular KEXP morning guy, was on hand for the fun, but the fun didn't last. Now, because the other milestone was 10 years ago, October 4th, 2011, the Zune news that day was bad. Um, here's the Seattle Times Archive robot reading part of the story.
3: Zoon player appears to be officially dead. The
0: Zune player support and service page says, We recently announced that, going forward... Windows Phone will be the focus of our mobile music and video strategy, and that we will no longer be producing Zune players. The Seattle Times I, had a reading robot.
1: Well, on the archive they do, and I hope they don't replace <laughs> radio people with that, because that would be very troubling uh, to hear that no, voice no. every morning. Now, death was an instant. The Zune brand officially went away in October 2012. Music downloads and streaming ended November 2015. Now, I've, I've always wondered where the name Zune came from. We know the Edsel was named after Henry Ford's son, Edsel right. Ford. We know New Coke was literally Coke with the word new in front of it. Yes. So I reached out to Microsoft. They weren't able to help me. They've apparently moved on. But I found a guy in the UK named Peter Bull who's just published something he calls the Zoonopedia. He doesn't know the name origins, but he told me the code word for the Zoon while it was in development was Argo. The um, various versions of the Zoon all had code names too. Peter Bull also shared a copy of the original brand guidelines, guidelines which said the name Zoon was chosen because it, quote, Sounded both active and fun while suggesting an association with music and technology. Of course it does. Now, here's the really breaking news here. I also tracked down a former Microsoft employee who was involved with Zoom and a number of other projects. This person told me that the name came from internal brainstorming at Microsoft, and specifically the concept of Zoom Tunes, hmm. which was an early name for that sharing concept. So that, perhaps, is the origins of Zoom. Now, if there's anyone listening out there in the Northwest who was involved with Zune and who can confirm this information or offer some alternative story, send a text to 888 973 because I would love to actually have the have this confirm the story. I also want to thank a local podcaster named Tim Ellis. He shared photos of his Zune tuned to Cairo FM. Mm-hmm. And he also shot a video during the great Zune freeze of New Year's Eve 2008 when all the Zooms shut down around the world for several hours, but they all came back automatically by themselves. We'll have more about that later at MyNorthwest.com.
0: Well, I assume the, the FM radio would still have worked, right? It, it does still work. And this, this gentleman, Tim Ellis, well, he listens go. to
1: podcasts while he's using his um, smartphone to make videos, and he listens to Cairo radio on his Zoom. On his Zoom, because FM radio always works. And there's no buffering, Felix. Just remember that. And the quality, it's like it's HD. I think it's, it's HD excellent. radio, too. So
0: the audio quality is amazing, and it's instantaneous. All of Felix's features are on MyNorthwest.com. And uh, we have a big Halloween show coming up, right? Oh, we do. Have you been practicing your lines on that old script I sent you
1: the other day? It does Is that actually Orson Welles' original script? I believe it is. It's the original document that was turned into a PDF. Wow. I can't remember where I got a hold of it, but I'm I'm working on typing up our own version of the script, which we always modify slightly, of course. Yes, of course. But you can see Welles' genius in those lines he crossed out or stuff he emphasized, and they really love Campbell's Soup because that was the sponsor back in 1939. <laughs> it's It's all about the soup. All about the soup. Thanks, Felix.
4: Serving Greater Seattle.
0: It's incredible archive of priceless photos and documents being preserved and made accessible both in person and online from a location in Burien. And it's the result of a unique partnership between five nonprofit groups devoted to Northwest Railroad history. Our resident historian, Felix Bunnell, took a trip to the Pacific Northwest Railroad Archive. Felix is brought to you by Lake Washington Windows and Doors. Hi, Felix.
1: Yeah, morning, Dave. This is a pretty cool organization that dates back a little more than a decade. I've been planning a visit since before the pandemic, and I finally made it there a few days ago to their facility in Burien. You know, in the past year or so, the publicly owned National Archives in Seattle and the State Archives in Olympia have gotten a lot of attention. But there's this whole ecology of private groups who do so much to preserve and share the raw materials of history. You know, we've talked before on this show about groups like the Puget Sound Maritime Historical Society or the Black Heritage Society, who do this sort of work, of course. But there's something about trains and railroad history that's almost universally appealing and that's a little tough to explain. And so at the Pacific Northwest Railroad Archive the other day, I asked Board President Bob Kelly why it is that so many people have an obsession with old locomotives or old railroad stations.
2: I don't know but I certainly have it you know (laughs) if I could stop and see a train go by I will stop and see a train go by or I will go to the depot and I can't tell you what kind of locomotive it is and I can't tell you what kind of air pump it has or any of that like a lot of people can but there's this feeling about it that a lot of us have it's like whoa boys I'm in the right place
1: now Bob's a great northern guy we'll talk about what that means in a few minutes The founder and uh, director emeritus of the Pacific Northwest Railroad Archive is Gary Tarbox. He's a Northern Pacific guy. He's also had a 40 year career in tech at Boeing and Microsoft. He's the architect of the partnership between the five groups that form the archive, Cascade Rail Foundation, Great Northern Railway Historical Society, Northern Pacific Railway Historical Association, Spokane, Portland, and Seattle Railway Historical Society, and the Boeing Employees Model Railroad Club.
4: We are a consortium of five different organizations, all doing... Uh, something that uh, no one of them could do alone. Uh, they need, In other words, we've pooled our resources to do something that's uh, way above what any one organization can really finance and, and all.
1: You know, and it's, it's really unusual and a really brilliant way to, to kind of kill a bunch of birds with one stone. And the best thing they did was to buy an old plumbing supply building in Burien back in 2010 when the real estate market was still reeling from the Great Recession. You know, it's critical for any archive to know it will never have to move. You know, just ask the people out at Sandpoint about that. Now, the Burian facility is open only by appointment. They've got about a dozen workstations for in-person access, but they're also very active by email and phone for people all over the country, and they've spent a lot of time digitizing stuff. In the storage areas, which are pretty massive, they have old ledgers and maps, railroad timetables, thousands and thousands of photos. You know, much of it's organized in what's called compact storage. Those are those uh, kind of shelves that you can reel right. with a crank and move back we'll and understand. forth across the floor to make space. And before this archive existed, most of this stuff was spread out amongst countless private basements around the region. It was really just like a, a diaspora. Now, I talked to a researcher over on the east side named Kent Sullivan, who does a lot of work on northern Pacific history. Like that old Belt Line, which is where the new East Rail runs through Kirkland and Bellevue. Now, Kent really appreciates the volume and quality of material at the Pacific Pacific Northwest Railroad Archive and the staff and volunteers.
4: Having a place
3: that has a critical mass of material now, uh, it doesn't mean that there's no searching and scratching your head and trying to figure out where to look. But at least you have some confidence that if there is an answer, it's likely to be in that building (laughs) and that there's a, a staff. Some paid, mostly volunteers, who are constantly paying attention to that collection, doing an inventory, trying to get it organized, cross-reference, get it digitized. It's just an enormous help.
1: I also talked to Gus Malonis. He's a third-generation Northwest Railroad guy who recently retired from BNSF Railway after a long career and who was heard often on local media. Um, BNSF has supported the archive financially they appreciate that the consortium exists and that they're taking Northwest Railroad history seriously, and it's a resource for BNSF, too. When I was director of public affairs, I might get a call on a circus train, and I'd need information on, well, what type
0: of rail cars were used to transport elephants, or information about an old train station that no longer exists. The train stations are disappearing. An old depot somewhere. They were great help.
1: You know, and that's the thing about railroad history. It goes far beyond just nostalgia for steam engines. I mean, the railroads were one of the earliest heavy industries, earliest major landowners around here back in the 1870s. So railroad history, it's like this hidden superstructure underpinning so much of the other you know, post-settlement history. You know, Board President Bob Kelly told me how the archive recently helped a surveyor in the Chehalis area.
2: He was surveying some property and nothing lined up. And so he contacted us because the survey started in the middle of the railroad, <laughs> Except the railroad it started from was in the, where the railroad was located in 1890, not where the railroad was today. So his crew had gone out to the, where the railroad was today. As soon as we showed him where the railroad was in 1890, all of a sudden everything lined up.
1: And I mentioned Bob Kelly's a great northern guy. Gary Tarbox is a northern Pacific guy. I found that in any Northwest Railroad History gathering or conversation, each railroad history buff will have one favorite railroad they cherish above all others. Great Northern, Northern Pacific, Milwaukee Road. They don't hate the others, but they do love their favorite. You know, and most of those railroads were ultimately folded into what's now BNSF. The big merger was more than 50 years ago. And Director Emeritus Gary Tarbach says the specific date forms a kind of a dividing line between eras and also informs the larger philosophy for the folks at the archive.
4: We tend to do uh, March 2nd of 1970 is the last day of the the independent railroads the great northern and the northern pacific because they they all went into the burlington northern from from our perspective here so that's we consider that merger day but post merger we still follow the rails you know where it went how communities were served a lot of cases here is not so much we're focusing on the railroads but we're focusing on the communities served by the railroads And and that's the key right there. You know, railroad history is really just history. And with this uh,
1: archive, the best place to start is our website, pnrarchive.org. They have thousands and thousands of items online. It's not just for specialists; it's for anyone who's interested in really anything about Northwest history.
0: Yeah, I had a fascination with trains too as a kid. Had a model. Railroad uh, set. Do they have a model railroad set at the museum? By the way, the they archives?
1: do. That's one of the groups. Is the Boeing employees model yeah. railroad club? And in a big room, they show me. There's this huge layout, bigger than anyone I've ever seen, with meticulous detail of these little tiny railroad engines and uh, depots, of little tiny people and mountain goats all up right. in up in the hills. It's it's crazy. They have so open houses for that on occasion.
0: That's good because even if you're not into old documents, everybody <laughs> loves a good railroad <laughs> yeah. set, right? Isn't that weird? It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Felix Pinell is our resident historian. You can find all his features. Fully illustrated, by the way, at MyNorthwest.com. Thanks, Felix. Thanks, Dave. For this is Cairo, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against a backdrop of antiquity.
1: For this edition of From the Archives, looking and listening back to the destructive and deadly Columbus Day Storm. So here it is, two days after
0: Columbus Day. And if you've lived around here for any length of time, Columbus Day equals the Columbus Day storm. And coming up from the crypt is our resident historian, Felix Benell To bring us back to uh, that year, it was 63?
1: Yeah, it's a new feature. It's history and weather together on the 14s here on Cairo Radio. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, it's the 54th anniversary of the Columbus Day storm. And it's, you know, obviously, as we've heard in the weather forecast, we're looking at a fairly significant windstorm coming up this Saturday. And as an audio historian and amateur weather enthusiast and former intern to Jeff Renner, I have to add, I did two things to observe the anniversary and to prepare for what might be coming. I went out into the archives and dug up some old tapes from radio station KGW in Portland. Mm -hmm. Then I went out to the National Weather Service office at Sandpoint yesterday and spoke with forecaster Ted (laughs) Beener.
0: We interrupt our regular KGW program schedule to bring you this weather advisory. The Weather Bureau is forecasting southerly winds of 20 to 40 miles an hour today, gusting to 60 miles per hour by late this afternoon or early evening. Friday differed from other Fridays only insofar as it was Columbus Day, October 12th. The thousands of suburbanites had commuted to the city Friday morning with no more anticipation than for the day's routine. It was simply another day, differing only in the strange calm, a gray, black, windless calm which stood over the city. Still, who could say that it was any different?
3: The Columbus Day storm is the strongest non-tropical windstorm ever to hit the lower 48 in American history. I'm Ted Beener, National Weather Service, Seattle, Warning Coordination Meteorologist. I myself lived through it. What's that?
1: 93, 93. Frank
0: Bonhamus. there goes our gauge, there goes our gauge, dropped back to zero. We don't know what happened, there's wreckage coming off the roof up there, perhaps some of that wreckage hit the gauge, or perhaps the bearings just burned out, but there was a 93 mile an hour gust, and then finally the wind gauge went.
3: So winds along the coast with the Columbus Day storm were in excess of 150 miles an hour in the interior valleys from Eugene to Bellingham they were in excess of a hundred miles per hour. I lived in the Portland area um, on my street alone in the West Hills we had hundred and sixty trees down on our street um, I can remember it as if it was yesterday.
2: Now we've just been informed that KGW-TV, Channel 8's tower has gone down that report from Andy Jordan just moments ago at the TV tower at Channel 8 has fallen.
3: I remember at about 8 o'clock this, uh, that evening, the storm had gone through. I was only six years of age at that point. But out my window, I could see all the radio and TV towers on the West Hills, you know, with the blinking red lights. They were all gone. All of them were gone. That got me interested in the field of weather and drove me through my schooling, both, you know, elementary, junior high, high school, college, and where I am today. Our last really big windstorm was the Hanukkah Eve windstorm of December 06. If you ranked it from zero to 10, the Columbus Day storm as a 10, the Hanukkah Eve was a six. We're actually seeing somewhat of a similar pattern even right now that's developing. Some of our guidance is pointing towards something that might be, you know, at least Hanukkah Eve windstorm ish. So we're really trying to get people to prepare now with regards to the possibility of some very strong winds, uh, some heavy rain, possible flooding. Uh, and high surf along the coast. So and by preparing, I'm talking about getting ready for any potential power outages that you may have. We're probably going to start to see some wet and windy weather here starting Wednesday night into Thursday. So I, I'd like to perhaps humorously describe that as our dress rehearsal uh, and kind of work through that. Uh, but right now, if, we, if everything goes according to the current guidance and the current plan, probably during the day on Saturday into Saturday night for the the, the exclamation point, if you wish.
0: This has been the story of October 12, just as it was. A destructive blow of nature which brought with it death, injury, damage, and a rude change of existence for thousands and thousands of us in Oregon and Washington. In time of need, radio will be there again to give immediate help when you need it. But you must be able to listen if radio is to work for you. That's certainly true.
1: Get some I batteries for your transistor radio, Dave. That's yeah, what I was trying to say. I though.
0: do. I have like three transistor radios. I have like six. Cells. Even okay. when the internet goes down, <laughs> as it inevitably will. <laughs> uh, you'll be able to listen to radio. I had no Aren't idea the set up to, that to
3: broadcast too in case of an emergency. Who knows? Haven't you hunkered yourself down in in a bunker? To I, don't broadcast? Know, I don't. I don't
0: know if the lines from there would. Uh, we'd have to go to the transmitter if it got bad. If enough. there's an emergency, wow, though, we're it's, scaring people here. It's vote to
1: Vashon and
2: everybody <laughs> because see Dave's prepared. You
1: shouldn't be scared because if there's an right. emergency, Dave will be there.
2: Right. Radio right. will be there for you.
0: Of Always course. on the radio. I, I haven't. Uh, I didn't start up my generator all summer, and you know sometimes stale gas can uh, come back and bite you. So Uh-oh. I think yeah, I'll. I do. I think that will be the on the afternoon agenda. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah, Ted Ted Beener would be proud. And I got to cultivate my weather voice too.
3: How's your emergency kit?
0: Hmm, I've got no. Oh, I, I actually I did go to REI. Actually,
1: I got the freeze dried food.
0: Did ya? Yeah. You that know, what, a little bit of overreach.
1: But. One thing you know, the Columbus Day storm was easy to name because it fell on October twelfth. The yeah. Hanukkah Eve storm took a couple months to name. They did a contest. Saturday, October 15th, if this big storm hit, it might need a name. A couple ideas on Frederick Nietzsche's birthday, uh, Virgil the poet, John Kenneth Galbraith, the economist, and Akbar, the Indian emperor. But text us at seven three if you have better ideas for naming <laughs> this storm. A lot of homecomings storm. this weekend. Oh, yeah. A lot of homecomings. A yeah. so homecoming be, storm. Let's be careful out there is what I'm trying to say. Uh, yeah. It does
0: sound like uh, it'll be a, uh, quite a dramatic event.
1: I'm Felix Bonnell at Cairo Radio in Seattle. You can follow me on Twitter and read my stories and see my photo galleries at MyNorthwest.com. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend and please take a moment to give a positive rating or review. Thanks for listening and please join me again for the next episode of The Resident Historian.
3: Things are swinging in Seattle